All right, let's begin our study of Genesis chapter 28. We'll read Genesis 28, 1 to 9. Jacob is going to be sent to Haran. Genesis 28, 1 to 9. So Isaac called Jacob and and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take to himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabaioth. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're thankful that you have gathered us together to study your holy word. We thank you for it. We thank you for the gospel of Christ contained therein. Lord, we pray that you'll show us more from this example in Jacob's life, that we must also uh, experience these same afflictions, these same uh, uncertainties, but trust you and trust your word, no matter what our circumstances are. May we see you and may we see Christ and our gospel uh, of Christ even more clearly from this passage. Be with us and guide our thoughts in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, chapter 28, it begins this commissioning or sending away of Jacob from Isaac. Remember, in the previous chapter, because of the blessing that Jacob received that Esau wanted, Esau bore a grudge and wanted to kill Jacob at an opportune time. Well, Rebekah hears of it, and Rebekah and Isaac now are commissioning or sending Jacob away until Esau's anger subsides, hoping that over time... Esau will not want to kill or murder his own brother. And that's why we have chapter 28, verse 1. At this point, Isaac agrees that it's not good for Jacob to stay there with them around Esau. So that's how chapter 28, verse 1 begins. So Jacob called, so Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him. Now the content of this blessing is what we will read in the following verses. But we notice at the beginning that he blesses Jacob. You might ask, well, didn't he already bless Jacob? He, yes, he already blessed Jacob in the previous chapter. But this is repeated not because the blessing in the previous chapter was wanting, but merely to help or mainly to help Jacob have assurance that God is with him. The Bible does often repeat the promises of God and sometimes to the same individual to assure the individual 
that God has not forsaken him, to remember his word and to remember his promises that God will carry out what he has indeed said to them. It's therefore repeated to Jacob for that purpose. And also remember that it's repeated that way for you and me, for us to know that God has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten. He will continue to fulfill his word. Well, notice at the beginning of this repetition of the blessing, there's something added. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. That's said again in verse six. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And why would that be the case? That would be the case because the daughters of Canaan were idolatrous and immoral women. The daughters of Canaan, because the Canaanites were idolatrous. They were unbelievers. They did not believe the gospel like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. They believed in idols. Therefore, he's warning Jacob not to marry one of the unbelievers, even though the unbelievers are nearby, even though he might be very familiar with many of them, because he has to interact with them in terms of commerce or for whatever other reasons he needs to interact with the men and the women in the land of Canaan. He's instead told, avoid them, don't marry one of them, but go away and find in our previous land a wife for you to marry from there. Well, this reminds us of the truth that we found earlier, actually, in Genesis. In Genesis 24, verses 3 and 4, Abraham also told his servant to find a wife elsewhere. That is, in the same place where Jacob is about to go. Genesis 24, 3. I will, make a, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Years before, this is how Isaac and Rebekah were married. Rebekah used to live there in the land of the north where they lived temporarily a few years in the uh, city of Haran in the northern part of Mesopotamia. And now Jacob is being sent back to that same place. Why? Because there were believers still up there among the relatives and among the believers and relatives, Jacob would find a wife. So Abraham did it for the purpose of Isaac finding a godly wife. And now Isaac is doing it for Jacob to go there and find a godly wife. And of course, at the same time, accomplishing some reprieve or some possibility that Esau would have um, his anger subdued and subside. And then Jacob would be able to return back to Canaan. This idea of a believer not marrying an unbeliever, it is repeated in 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine, where it says that if a widow wants to remarry, she can remarry only in the Lord. It says only in the Lord. So a Christian should only marry in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 teaches that the apostles could take along a believing wife take along a believing wife in, in ministry, not an unbelieving wife, but a believing wife, which assumes that the, the apostle would marry a believer. Then 2 Corinthians 6, let's turn to that one. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 
14 to 18. This passage does not explicitly mention marriage, but marriage inevitably has to be included in one of these close relationships that he has in mind. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Clearly then, it is incumbent upon Christians, men or women, single, to find believing spouses to marry. We should not take this lightly. We should take it very seriously and approach it very carefully to make sure that we marry a believing spouse. Because of all the human relationships, marriage is the closest of all human relationships. Even closer than the relationship of parent to child or among siblings. The marriage relationship is the closest. So we should not be bound together with unbelievers. This, therefore, shows the godliness of Isaac and his desire for Jacob, a believer, to marry another believer. They are taking their Christian life very seriously in this regard. Then verse 2. Verse 2. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Um, from there, and also from verse 5, verses 2 and 5, Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Well, in this place, in Padan Aram, and specifically to the city of Haran, in the region of Padan Aram. Padan meaning the field or, or the flatland, of Aram, so the Arameans, so the Aramean flatland, that's how that region was known. But there was one specific city we see in verse 10, Haran. That city was there in this region called Padan Aram. Well, what is Haran or who lived there? And why is it that Isaac is saying to Jacob, go there where your relatives are? Well, which relatives stayed there? And why would those relatives be suitable to find a wife? Is it because they are relatives of the same ethnicity, the same tribe? Is that why he's doing it? Is that why Isaac is sending Jacob there? Or does it have to do with the godliness, the remnant godliness that's still there? And I think it's the remnant godliness. And why? Why do I think so? Well, let's look at uh, a few verses Genesis 11, Genesis 11, 26. Genesis 11, 26. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. 
Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Notice there, of the three sons, or the two brothers of Abraham, Haran died in Ur. So that's why he did not leave and go with the rest of the family to Haran and then um, or to the land of Canaan. Verse 29. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Well, Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, they all go and leave the land of Ur in order to go to Haran. Um, it, intending to go to Canaan. But they don't all make it there because Terah dies in Haran. Well, we're going to see that not only did Terah die there, but Nahor, the brother of Abraham, settled there with his family. Genesis 24, Genesis 24, verse 10. Genesis 24, 10. 24.10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. It says to the city of Nahor. Well, what would be the city of Nahor? We'll see. Verse 15. Verse 15. And it came about... Before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, was, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her, hand, on her shoulder. There, Rebekah, born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. She is there in the city of Nahor. Then, let's go to chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. In order to confirm, in order to confirm that in this region of Padan Aram, that Nahor not only settled there, but Nahor was a believer. Abraham's brother Nahor was a believer. 31.53. Genesis 31.53. The God of Abraham... And the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor is called upon here, which means that Nahor believed just like Abraham believed. So back to Genesis 28. When Isaac sends Jacob there to find a daughter or granddaughter or niece or someone who is related to Nahor, the reason being there were still some believers there to find a believer among them. 
So now we pick it up back in Genesis 28, 28 verse 3. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. God Almighty calling upon the, the God who has all power to do whatever, which has already been experienced in Abraham's life. Sarah and Abraham had a child in their old age, Isaac, and Isaac knows that. But not only that, but that he has power to do whatever, just as he had already provided for Isaac throughout his life. And now Isaac is transferring this special blessing onto Jacob, onto Jacob. May God Almighty bless you. Now, it says in verse 1, may he bless you. It says it also in verse 3 and in verse 6. Isaac had blessed Jacob. Now, this blessing of Isaac, was it a typical blessing? Was it merely a blessing from father to son? Or was it a ministerial blessing? That is from the pastor to the people, wishing them well, wishing them God's favor. Or was this a prophetic blessing? Well, certainly in, in Isaac's case, he was a father. He was also a, a sort of minister as he knew the gospel, believed the gospel, and taught his family the gospel. But I think that this has a, a, a more special designation as being a prophetic blessing. A prophetic blessing. And why so? Well, in Hebrews 11, verse 20, it says that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come, which means it was a blessing about their future. He knew he was given inspiration by God to know the future in reference to both of his sons. Well, also we have Psalm 105, which will tell us that Isaac was a prophet. Psalm 105 and verse 8. 105, 8 to 15. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. And what did God say to these kings? Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Do my prophets no harm. And he just mentioned the name of three prophets in verses 9 and 10. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why the blessing was a unique blessing from Isaac to Jacob because it had the addition of being a prophetic one inspired by the Holy Spirit to announce these words to his son Jacob. So what does this include? Back to Genesis 28.3. It includes Jacob becoming fruitful and multiplying and that he become a company of peoples, which is true. It's true physically, right? Because from Jacob came his 12 sons, 
And from the twelve sons, the patriarchs became twelve tribes, and the twelve tribes became a nation. And even eventually, the twelve tribes became two nations, two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. It's true in the physical sense, but what's more important with the Abrahamic covenant and the blessings? Is it the physical component or the spiritual component? It's the spiritual. And so in the spiritual sense, everyone who has the faith of Jacob is a child of Jacob or an offspring of Jacob and can be called Jacob, can be designated Israel, or as Galatians 6.16 says, the Israel of God. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, that is, upon the Israel of God. And the spiritual component must not be missed. Often when interpreters come to this Abrahamic covenant and to Isaac and to Jacob, and also for most, if not all, the covenants of the Old Testament, interpreters typically take these covenants as being merely and exclusively physical, material. You're going to have a large family, you're going to have lots of health, and you're going to have lots of wealth. As though the only thing on their mind was having peace, progeny, and a pot belly, which is not true. It's not true that they were only concerned about matters of this life. They knew that this life was only a means, a channel, and a vehicle for the life to come. And Abraham's hope was in the life to come, was in the world to come. So was Isaac's, Jacob's, Joseph's, Moses, David. Everyone's hope was in the life to come, not in this world. So that's why in verse 3, we have to also consider and include the spiritual component that we who are uh, of faith are sons of Abraham, the believer. We are offspring of Abraham, the believer. Galatians 3, 6 to 9 mentions that. Verse 4. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. If it's not clear in verse 3, I think it will be more clear in verse 4, when it says that this blessing of Abraham is given to Jacob and to Jacob's offspring, and that they will possess the land of their sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Now think about it. When in history did Abraham possess all of the land of Canaan? Did Isaac possess all of the land of Canaan? Did Jacob possess all of the land of Canaan? Did the nation of Israel possess all of the land of Canaan under Saul, David, or Solomon? They did not. They did not. There were still many unconquered regions in the land of Canaan. So when he says this, he's not speaking of this world, he's speaking of the world to come. He's using the land of Canaan as a token and a symbol, a type, a shadow of the world to come and that they should put their hope in the world to come. Now, you may say, how do we know that? How do we know that these patriarchs actually did believe this? That the land of Canaan represented the heavenly Canaan or the heavenly Zion, the heavenly city. Well, firstly, notice it says in verse 4, 
Isaac calls the land of Canaan the land of your sojournings. Jacob sojourned there. Well, who is a sojourner but one who lives as an alien and a stranger in a land not his? However, Isaac was born in the land of Canaan and Jacob was born in the land of Canaan. Why are they considering Canaan a land of sojournings? Why are they doing that? Let's continue. Keep your place in Genesis 28, but also turn to chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. Jacob is now presented to Pharaoh, and he's telling Pharaoh in Egypt the following. Genesis 47, 9. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. He still calls his whole life, and he's going to, he's about 130 right now, and he says that he's been sojourning for 130 years. And then he says, few and unpleasant have been his years, and he hasn't lived to be as long as Abraham and Isaac. And he also says that they sojourned on the earth. Why does Jacob say he sojourned? Take, uh, now go to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And 15, 29, 15. For we are sojourners before you and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. We are sojourners. David is saying we. And David lived a thousand years after Abraham. David says we are sojourners. David was born in the land of Canaan. He was actually born in the kingdom of Israel in that period of time when Saul was king, right? He was born at that time and he still calls himself a sojourner. He's the king of the country and he calls himself a sojourner. And he also says, before you, before God, and he calls himself a tenant. Well, what is a tenant? But a temporary resident Right? A temporary resident. And he says, as all our fathers were. All our fathers. So he's including everybody before him. I think he's including everybody from the time of Adam. Every believer from the time of, uh, time of Adam, he's calling all our fathers. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. Is a shadow permanent? No, it's temporary. It's moving. And then he says... And there is no hope, meaning there's no hope in this world. He's not saying there's no hope at all for the righteous, no hope for the believer. He's saying there's no hope in this world because he's putting his hope in the world to come. Now, you may say all that sounds like a stretch, but let's turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Where here, the apostle, remember, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle will tell us the same thing. Hebrews 11. 
13. Hebrews 11, 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They died in faith, and he says they did not receive the promises. That's what we said before. Abraham did not live to conquer the land of Canaan. Isaac did not. Jacob did not. Many did not. They did not experience that. But he saw, or they saw, the promises from a distance. Why would he say from a distance? Because it was not touched by them. They never touched those promises when they were living on the earth. They were thinking and hoping for the heavenly reality, the truthfulness or the substance of these promises. And they also, he says, confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Well, we just saw a couple of examples. Genesis 28, 4, 47, 9, 1 Chronicles 29, 15. And there's several more passages like that in the Old Testament where the saints of the Old Testament confess that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. Right? Further, he says, they would only say that about themselves if they were seeking a country of their own, but not the country from which they came, meaning if Abraham and Isaac wanted to go back to Haran or wanted to go back to Ur of the Chaldeans, they could have done so. But you remember, Abraham told his servant, you better not take my son Isaac there to live there permanently. You have to bring his wife here for him to marry. And in the case of Isaac, Isaac could have left with Rebekah and Jacob to go to Haran and then from there go back to Ur. He could have done that, but he didn't. He stayed there and he likely so that Jacob would not stay up there and that he would come back to the land of Canaan. So they could have gone back to a more familiar place where more familiar people were there and circumstances, but they didn't. They did not do so. And why? Because they desired a better country, a heavenly country. Verse 10 also He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's saying that about Abraham. Chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 14, Hebrews 13, 14. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. All of this is true of what Isaac and Jacob are saying here in Genesis chapter 28, or Isaac to Jacob. That's what he's saying to Jacob. Look for that, anticipate that in this blessing of Abraham that God gave to him, but all of his descendants who are his descendants by faith. This is, this is critical because we cannot and should not ever read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, as being merely a material and physical book. It's not about health and wealth. 
And the New Testament is spiritual, the Old Testament is physical. As though the God of both Testaments is different, as though salvation were different in both Testaments, or human nature were different in both Testaments, or there's no gospel of Christ in the Old Testament. We cannot think that way. The moment we think that way, we are breaking up the Bible. We are abusing and misusing the Bible and the gospel. Now, back to Genesis 28 and verse 6, 28, 6. Now, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take to himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Esau knew what Isaac did for Jacob, and that it included not only departure, but also that Isaac didn't want Jacob to marry a daughter of Canaan. Well, who already did? Esau already did that. Esau already did that. Not only did Esau already do that, verse 7, what else did he notice? That Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Jacob obeyed, which he should. He should have obeyed when, whenever his parents are telling him something right and true, something that is biblical and scriptural. He's supposed to obey it as it teaches us in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. But also the responsibility of the fathers. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Isaac is not provoking Jacob. He's bringing him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And to that extent, Jacob understood it, and therefore he obeyed what his parents taught him to do. Leave there and go and find a wife, a believing wife, among your relatives. But Esau does not have the same desire. He has a pretentious desire, a pretentious goal. Look at verses 8 and 9. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. In Esau's case, he had already done wrong to his parents. Remember 2746. 2746. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Well, who are these daughters of Heth that have caused her grief? Go to chapter 26. Genesis 26. Genesis 26, 34. 26, 34. And when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Baeri the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. The daughters of Heth, that's the same as the Hittite. The daughters of Heth equals the Hittite. And he married two Hittite women, and they caused grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau knew that. He knew he shouldn't have done it in the first place, but he did it in the first place. Now, in a pretentious way, 
in a pretentious way, he's hoping to smooth it over. He's hoping to sweep it under the rug. He's hoping that he can take a step in their direction that, and hopes that, in, in the hope that his parents will like him more or that he'll be pleasing to God more. Look at what it says, verse 8. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. Now this word displeased is, I think, better rendered evil. We're evil in the, in the eyes of his father Isaac or evil before in the presence of Isaac. So I think that would be a better way to look at it. It's not just, you know, I, I, it irritates me a little bit. I'm displeased with it. It's not like that. It's more significant and more severe than that. So that's why I think it should be that they were evil in the eyes of his father Isaac. So when he comes to full realization of this, in this circumstance, he goes to Ishmael or to the household of Ishmael to find a wife there thinking, well, since my father Isaac is a brother of Ishmael, if I marry closer to him, Ishmael's family, maybe I'll be in his favor more and even in the favor of God more. He's thinking in terms of, of horizontal relationships and works. If he does something good, at least perhaps perceived as good by him and them, then he'll be in their good graces. He's not thinking about, he's not thinking about pleasing God. So he marries this other woman named Mahalath. Well, how can we say that Esau was not doing this rightly? How can we say that he was not doing this rightly? How can we say that he was an unbeliever? Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. And this is an important question as to the faith of Esau because some people think that Esau was a, a repentant person, that he actually did eventually repent and believe the gospel. Malachi chapter 1 and a couple of other references that we find will show that this is not the case. He did not believe at all. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says... We have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this and you will say, May the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. In verse 2, God reminds the nation, Jacob or Israel, that he loved Jacob, but hated Esau. Verses two and three. He loved Jacob, the patriarch. Therefore, he showed favor to Jacob's descendants. He hated Esau, the patriarch, the individual, the man, 
Therefore, he showed also hatred or disdain for Esau's descendants. Esau's descendants have come to be known as the Edomites because Esau had two names, Esau and Edom. And what has God done to show that he hated Esau and even Esau's descendants? He gave them a desolate mountain area, a mountain range. He, gave, uh, he also brought punishment on them because outsiders, foreigners invaded and destroyed them. And then the remnant of them say, well, yeah, we've been destroyed, but we're going to be able to recover. We're going to rebuild our nation. And God says, no, they might rebuild, but I'm going to tear it down again. And why? Because they are a wicked territory, verse 4, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. He has eternal, everlasting indignation or anger toward Edom, Esau. Esau the patriarch and Esau's descendants. And verse 5, we will glorify God for it. May the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. That's in the old Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 10. Romans 9, 10. Romans 9, verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or evil, in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, The older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The mother of Jacob and Esau, Rebekah, the husband and father, was Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah, twins by one man, our father Isaac. They weren't yet born. They had not done anything good or evil. And while they were in the womb, God announced to Rebekah that the older will serve the younger, which means that Esau's existence is for Jacob. Esau's existence is for Jacob. And in what sense for Jacob? Jacob's salvation and Esau's ruination, Esau's destruction. Verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate him. Remember now, when Paul says Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, he's talking about the patriarchs, the men, the individuals. He's not talking about the nation. Yes, there were consequences to the nations uh, under Jacob and under Esau. But right here, he's addressing the individuals, the individual men and their salvation. And this depends on God's gracious choice, God's purpose, according to his choice, verse 11. Not because of works, but because of God who calls one to salvation and another to condemnation. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 12. 12, 12. We'll read from verses 12 to 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
Pursue peace with all and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Well, when Esau was weak, when Esau had knees that were feeble, when Esau had uh, limbs out of joint, when he had that, he did not seek healing by repentance. He did not seek peace with all and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. He did not seek to make sure that he obtained the grace of God, but he came short of the grace of God. He did not make sure that no root of bitterness would spring up in him. He did not make sure that he was not defiled. He did not make sure of any of that. He pursued immorality and godlessness, verse 16, evidenced by this one example that he gives here. He sold his own birthright for a single meal. And then... When the blessing of Genesis 27 was bestowed on Jacob, Esau did not seek to have a spiritual blessing by repentance. He was just concerned about blessings. He was not concerned about repentance because it says in 17, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance. That means he died unrepentant. He died as an unbeliever. And so we have in Genesis 28, 8 and 9, a feeble attempt, a worthless attempt to please man and to please God by this additional marriage of a daughter of Ishmael. But it's to no avail. If there's no repentance, nothing we do is going to be acceptable in the sight of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please Him. Romans 8. Uh, six, uh, five to eight. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can't. And that's the way he was until he died. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.